fourth, excuse me, fifth lesson, but fourth attribute of God, we are going to look at God's immutability. God's immutability. And so look at Numbers chapter 23 and look at verse number 19. We'll read this verse and then I'll give you the definition of God's immutability. Verse number 19 says, God is not a man. And I'm certain that we've already known that, but as we've studied God's attributes, that becomes even more and more apparent. Uh, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, whenever you see the word repent in the Bible, um, oftentimes in in our modern vernacular or in our English definitions, we associate a sorrow for sin with repentance. And uh, certainly when we repent, most of the time that's what it's for, uh, returning from sin. Uh, but repentance in the Bible, when you hear it, uh, it just means to change, to change your mind, to be headed in one direction and to completely do a 180 and be headed in another direction. That's why when the Bible says we need to repent and believe in order to be saved, that's true. We need to turn from our uh, own beliefs and our own trust and our own works and turn towards Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. But when it comes to God, that does not apply in any way, shape, or form of the definition that we've just given. So let me give you the definition for God's immutability, and we'll go ahead and look at this today. The definition is God is unchanging. God is unchanging. God is unchanging in the perfection or completion of his character, who he is, his nature, his purposes, his plans, and his promises. And so look at back at verse number 19 of Numbers 23 that we just read. God is not a man that he should lie. A lie would be obviously a sin, but it would also indicate a change. Neither the son of man that he should repent, that he should change his mind, that he should move from being one thing or going one way and turn to another thing. We talked last week about God being self-existent, that God is God in and of himself, and he needs no one and nothing else to complete who he is. And so the word need or the idea of need does not apply to God. That is a creature word, not a creator word, not the one, one that we would apply to the creator. And just like need, the word change or the idea of change is one that can only be associated with us, the creature, and not with the creator. Need implies that one is lacking or without power by yourself. Uh, change implies that one is better or worse at times before or after the change occurs. If we change or we need to change, uh, that means we're either better and become worse, or we're worse and we need to come better because of the change. But here's the thing, and this is why it does not apply to God, why God is immutable. He does not change. There is no better or worse version of God because God is all that he is now. There can never be any more or any less of God. Uh, if we were to say that God could change, that would mean that he is limited or that he has boundaries now and he needs to increase those boundaries or he needs to expand those limits. And as we've already established, God is limitless. He's infinite. And so that applies to this fact as well. And one of the things that I love and I've been just thinking about as, as I go 
from one of these attributes to the other is seeing how they all connect together. And to see how God, again, is one simple being. He is not a bunch of parts made up of separate individual things. He is God. And all of these things are one and the same, and they all work together. And so all of the attributes that we have already discussed, his eternality, the fact that God is from eternity and through all, all eternity, and time does not apply to him. The fact that God is infinite, that he knows no boundaries, that he knows no limits, uh, that nothing is too hard or too big for God. And last week, that God is self-existent, that God is God in of himself, and he doesn't need anybody else to be God. All of that applies to what we look at today. And so uh, let me give you this statement there on your handout. He is the God. He is the God of eternal infinite and self-existent sameness. Now, I don't know if sameness is a word, but it fits here. He is the God of eternal sameness. So for all eternity, God is the same. He is the God of infinite. There is no limit to God being the same. There is no boundary to God being the same. And he is self-existent sameness. Uh, he by himself and of himself is the same. Uh, look at Malachi chapter number three. Malachi chapter number three, last book in the Old Testament. So if you get to Matthew, hang a left and you'll find it. Malachi chapter number three and look at verse number six. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 6, the Bible says, For I am the Lord, I change not. There it is, black and white. God says, I change not. I don't change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Who God is, is unchanging. Because God is self-existent, who he is, is all that he is by himself. And because he is all that he is, he is unchanging. He has no need to become greater or less than what he is. You know, the song says, there is no shadow of turning with thee. And we'll look at that verse here in just a second. Why? Because there doesn't need to be. Because God is all that he is. And because of that, he doesn't need to change. Uh, to change, again, as we said before, to change is to show imperfection. Either to change to become more perfect, you were imperfect before and you need to become more perfect, or you change from, become, from being more perfect to being less perfect. There is imperfection there one way or another, but God is already all perfect because he is all God complete in himself, and that is just who he is. And, and, and again, okay, as you think about all these attributes of God, expand your thought process to just one of these little areas, and obviously they're not little, but expand it to all of who God is. So hand in hand with the truth uh, that God is unchanging goes all other truth about who God is. The, the truth that his love is unchanging. The truth that his mercy is unchanging. The truth that his grace is unchanging, that his righteousness and holiness are unchanging. Who God is and everything that we know about who God is, is unchanging from every circumstance and every situation that we find him. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 8. Simple, direct, to the point, the declaration that God is unchanging. Verse number eight, Jesus Christ 
the same yesterday and today and forever. He is the same. Now, the writer of Hebrews here uses terminology to describe how Jesus is the same in a, in a linear an earthly timeline. Uh, because again, as we know from God being eternal, he has no yesterday, he has no today, he has no tomorrow or forever. He is just God for that entire existence. He's just God. He's eternal. But in order for us to understand, in order for us to, to be able to grasp it and comprehend it, uh, God uses this terminology for us to understand that yesterday and all the yesterdays of years gone past and before time, before Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, God was the same. Today, in this very moment, God is the same. And for all of eternity, for a time that will never end, God will be the same. Uh, the same for those who knew him in the past. All the way through. All the way back to Genesis, when Adam was created, and Abraham, and Joseph, and Moses, and Exodus, all the way through, all those who knew him yesterday, he was the same. For us today who know him, he is the same. And for us tomorrow, and for those who will come, back to, uh, who will come after us, he is still the same. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament, is the same God as the God that we serve today, and... He's the same God we'll spend all of eternity with. The same God. And then look at James 1, 17. Turn the page over to James 1 and verse number 17. This is that verse. For the line in the song, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Great is thy faithfulness. We find in this verse, verse number 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, no changing, no variation, neither shadow of turning. Neither shadow of turning. Not even the slightest hint, a shadow. That, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's not the real thing. That's just kind of evidence that something is there. There's not even evidence. There's not even a shadow. Not even the slightest hint that God is or ever will change. It is impossible for God to change because there is nothing greater or less than God can become. God is all that he is, and that's all that he is, and because of that, he will never become anything else. So, we've looked at a couple of these passages. Let me give you a couple more thoughts and statements about God's immutability in the rest of the time that we have left. First of all, for us to say that God is immutable or unchanging is to say that who he is is eternally consistent. God will never get better than he has been for eternity, and obviously, he will by no means ever get any worse. Again, it goes back to the complement of God's attributes working together. God is eternal. God exists throughout eternity. God exists for all time, for all of our time, and because there is no time with God. God exists, and because God exists, he is the same for that entire time. Uh, you have to remember, and I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago, but as we're talking about God, and one of the ways that God is different from you and I and the reason why we are referring to all of these different areas of God as attributes and not his character qualities or traits is because these are not separate parts of God. It's not that God is eternal and that God is infinite and that God is self-existent and then God is immutable and all of those play different roles in different parts at different times. No, God is all of that all of the time and they all fit together as one. God is one simple yet very complex 
being. Uh, he's not a compilation of separate parts that can be learned or lost or one can operate at one time and one can operate at a different time. No, God is all that he is all of the time. And because of that, he has no reason to change. Uh, the truth of unchangeableness or immutability, uh, and this is something that we need to be thankful for. While God does not change, that does not mean that our relationship with him does not change. Uh, there is change and there is development in his relation to his creatures. And that has to do with us. That has not to do with God, the fact that he changes, but that we change. Uh, the Bible says, in fact, go to Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. Romans chapter number 5. We who were once enemies of God are now, by the grace of God and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be his friends. Our relationship with him has changed. He has not changed, but our relationship with him has changed. Uh, look at verse number 6. For when we were with yet, yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Our relationship with God has changed. And so while God does not change, his relationship with his creatures can change. Uh, let me say this too. Because you may read some passages in the Bible, and it may appear that God changes. It may appear that something changes in God. In fact, go with me to one of them, uh, John chapter number 1. John chapter number 1. And look at verse number 14. John 1 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And the Word, Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, the word becoming flesh in that verse is not a contradiction to God being unchanging. Jesus, who in his uh, eternal being is very God, became in, in, in our space-time history, in the confines of, of humanity, became very man. The word who became flesh did not cease to be the word. Jesus took on flesh, the form of man. We know that from Philippians chapter 2. Yet without alteration or reduction of who he was as God. He is now what he has always been, very God. He is now what he was once not, very man. He is now and forever will be both the God man. And so when God became, or when Jesus became flesh, when he took on a human form, he did not become less God. He was still all God. He just became all man at the same time. Uh, to say that God is immutable, again, let me give you this, is not to say that he is immobile or static, that there is no activity with God, that God just sits somewhere and does nothing and doesn't change. Uh, all change is activity, but not all activity is change. God always is and acts in perfect harmony with what he has revealed about himself and his will in Scripture. 
Now, what are we saying here? Uh, listen, God always or will always act with the appropriate response in every situation. God will never have the wrong response in a situation. He just never will. He always acts with the appropriate response. He will be good, just, and loving in the situations that call for each of those appropriate responses. But then on the other side of the coin, if God ought to be good, just, or loving in the situations that they require, or as his promises require, he will never be evil, unfair, or hateful. God will always operate as he is supposed to operate and respond in the situations as he is supposed to respond. He will not change from that. God's immutability means that God who is omnipresent, omniscient, and omnipotent, he is everywhere, he knows all things, and he has all power, um, has not, is not, and will never be under any unimaginable circumstances, localized, contained, ignorant, or without power. What he is, he always is. Um, we, we talked last week about God being self-existent, that who he is is all that he is, and that he doesn't need anybody else or anything else to be all that he is, and, and God is immutable in respect to that. He is unchanging. God can neither gain new attributes, which he didn't have before, nor lose the ones that he hasn't already, that he already has. Uh, let me say this just very simply: God does not grow. Now that's hard for us to understand because we are always growing and we are always learning. At least we should be, and that's just been a part of life. Especially those of you that are still in school, that's been your life: is growing and learning and developing. And and but that doesn't apply to God. God does not grow. Um, no increase or decrease uh, to who He is. God will never be wiser more loving, more powerful, or holier than he has been or ever must be. Uh, God has, we don't look at the Bible and see all that God has done and all that God has, has worked throughout mankind and see a record of God learning how to be a better God. That's not what it is. That's just God being who he is. Uh, we looked last week in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14 when Moses said, who do I tell him sent me? What did God say? I am that I am. I am all by myself, and I don't need anybody else to be all that I am, but I am that I am. I don't change. I am all that I am. Now, uh, we saw that in just a moment ago in Malachi. I change not. That's who God is. It's not just a part. It's not just something that God claims. That's who he is, is unchanging. Um, not only is his being who he is unchanging, but his life is unchanging. Go to Psalm 90 and verse number two. This kind of, again, ties in with God being eternal. God's life is immutable. He just eternally is. God never began to be, nor will he ever cease to be. God is not young or old. Again, young, young or aging, that's change. God doesn't age, isn't change. He simply is. Uh, Psalm 90 and verse number 2. We looked at these a couple of weeks ago. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, the beginning of time, even from everlasting, the vanishing point, from as far back as we can see and before it, 
to everlasting, the vanishing point, as far as we can look ahead to history, look what it says. Thou art God. Not you were God. You will be God. No, you are. Just, just all throughout that time. You are God. You existed since the beginning, but not just existing. Not just that God was there. Not, not just that God was present, but that God is the same. That he was unchanging. Uh, look at a couple of psalms over Psalm 93 and look at verse number 2. Psalm 93, 2. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art. You are. That's present tense from everlasting. So who you are now is the same, the psalmist says, as you were before. See, here's the thing. Um, God existing from everlasting is not just God existing over time. Not just God being present at different points in history. Um, existing, he exists as he is now, back then, still the same, unchanged. Because here's the thing. You and I can say that we exist in different points throughout history. I existed in 1987. I know, it was a long time ago. But I was much different than I am now. My mother could attest. Um, I existed back then, but I have changed. There's been much change. You have existed over time. Um, and you existed whenever you were born, whatever year that was. And you exist now in 2020, but there's been a lot of change. You are not the same as you were when you existed at that point. That's different than what God is. God exists in the beginning the same as he is now with no change. Now, how does this kind of apply to us? And what are some of the things that we can take from this? How do we understand this a little bit better? First of all, let me say this. God is immutable. God is unchanging with respect to his plan for redemption, for salvation. Now, why is that important? There are only two reasons why God would ever be forced to or need to alter his plans or his purpose. First of all, would be if he lacked the necessary foresight or knowledge to anticipate any and all contingencies, any, anything that he needed to change. If God didn't have that, he would not be omniscient. The second reason why God would have to change his plan or his purpose would be if he lacked the power or ability to carry out what he had planned, but then he wouldn't be omnipotent. See, God is infinite in wisdom and knowledge, and because of that, there will never be any error or oversight in his plan. And God is infinite in power, so there will be no failure or frustration in the accomplishment of his plan. As we look throughout the Bible, as we look throughout the 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 forming of salvation's plan throughout all of recorded scripture, um, every event that took place to lead to the fulfillment of redemption on the cross was not a change in God's plan or purpose. It wasn't that God started out with the Old Testament and said, oh, let me tweak some things. I don't like the way that's going. We're going to change it here. No, it was all a part of God's plan or purpose. They are the execution in time of purposes that God had internally existing in his mind. That's the way it's always going to be. Um, you know, whether it's the Old Testament law, the picture, the sacrifices of the lambs in the temple of the Old Testament, the picture of Christ. It wasn't that God said, this will have to do for now and then I'll change it later. No, that was a part of his plan for eternity. Uh, Christ's coming was not to remedy something that wasn't working in the Old Testament. 
It wasn't that God said, we're going to try this for now, and then we might change it later, and that's why I'll send Jesus. No, it was all a part of his eternal plan. Both were realization of what God had decreed from eternity. And, and we won't take time, but I have a ton of scripture here that just tell us that God's plans, God's purposes for salvation, for redemption, for the world, and can I say for you as well, have been established for all eternity. They don't change. You say, well, this changed in my life. In the mind of God, it didn't change. It's still the same thing. It's still his plan. It's still his purpose. They do not change. Uh, we'll go to one verse. Go to Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. God does not change, neither do his plans or purpose for you. It does not change. Look at verse number 17, Hebrews 6 and verse number 17. The Bible says, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that's us, the immutability, there's that big word, the immutability of his counsel. Now that word counsel is a plan or a purpose or a direction or a guide. God says, my plans and purposes for salvation, but for your life as well, do not change. I have one. And it's a great one. Now, we may miss out on it because of us, but God's plan and purpose do not change. Um, let me give you another truth about God's immutability because this is important as well. When we study God's immutability, we must recognize the difference between unconditional divine decrees and conditional divine announcements or warnings. Remember I said that there are times in Scripture where it appears that God says one thing, but then eventually does something different, and it looks like he changes his mind? We have to understand the difference between. Because there are some things that God says, this is what's going to happen, and nothing is going to change it. It is immutable. But then there are other things that God will say, but if people do something God will do something different. That's not God changing his mind. That's a condition. That's a, if you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll reserve judgment. If you do this, I'll redeem you back myself. Uh, look at, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, look at uh, Jeremiah chapter number four. Look at a couple of these. Jeremiah chapter number four. God's unconditional divine, divine decrees occur regardless of anything else, regardless of other factors. Uh, Jeremiah 4, verse number 28. This is God speaking through Jeremiah about the punishment of Israel, the judgment of Israel, whom God has given plenty of opportunity to come back to him. But finally, the moment their heart is hardened, they have shown that they are not going to turn back to God. So look at verse number 28. It says, For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black, because I have spoken it, I have purposed, I have planned it, and will not repent, I will not change, neither will I turn back from it. Uh, look at Ezekiel 24, one book over. Ezekiel 24. Jeremiah is all about God's attempt 
to get the nation of Judah to come back to him. He's already decreed that Israel is going to be judged. We just saw that. And God attempts over and over and over again to get Judah to come back to him, to redeem, to restore Judah back to himself. That's who God is. But finally, we get to the point where God has to judge Judah as well because they have been rebellious. They have hardened their heart. They are just not going to come back to him. It's very clear. So look at Ezekiel 24, verse number 14. It says, I, the Lord, have spoken it. It shall come to pass, and I will do it. I will not go back, neither will I spare, neither will I repent or change. According to thy ways and according to thy doings shall they judge thee, saith the Lord God. There are some things that God says it's going to happen. It's going to happen regardless of anything else. But God's conditional announcements or warnings may occur dependent on the response of the person or persons to whom that they apply. And this is where we see it appears that God is repenting. It appears that God is changing his mind. It appears that God is going from one direction and turning to another one. But in reality, it's still a part of God's unchanging plan and purpose that we can't see. While it may appear that God is changing his mind, that's only because we don't or can't see the whole plan. Uh, look at some of these examples. Uh, uh, you're in uh, the book of Ezekiel, go to Jonah. Probably just look at this one example, but this is probably the best. Look at the book of Jonah. You're in Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Jonah. And look at Jonah chapter number three. Of course, we know the story of Jonah. God has decreed Jonah. He's called Jonah to go to Nineveh, preach to this city, tell it that if they don't repent, that God's going to destroy it. We know Jonah runs and all that good stuff, but eventually he gets there. Eventually he gets there to the city and he preaches that judgment is going to come on the city. Look at Jonah 3 and look at verse number, oh, uh, let's see, look at verse number 7. And he, the king of Nineveh, caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let, not, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn away uh, everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Verse number 9, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, is that God changing his mind? Is that God looking down and thinking, oh, oh, yeah, I, I won't judge him now. No, that's not God changing his mind. That's God saying, you do this, and I'll do that. It's in God's eternal plan. Uh, these examples, see, and this is why this is so important. These examples or this example in scripture give us another principle of God's immutable being as we see it here. God punishes the wicked and unrepentant, unrepentant, yeah, and forgives the humble and the repentant. So when God looked at Judah and Israel, as we read in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were not repenting. They were not being humble. They were not changing. And so God said, I'm going to judge you because that's who God is. But when God saw Nineveh repenting, when he saw them being humble, then God was going to bless them and bring them back. As we see in these examples, God's declaration of intent to punish because of sinful behavior and wickedness is based on the assumption that they are and will remain wicked. However, 
if and when they repent, to punish them regardless of that would also mean that God changed. That God would now punish rather than bless the repentant. If God had decided to just be unchanging and punish Nineveh regardless of what they did, then that would be God changing because they have repented. They are humble now. And God does not punish those who are seeking after him. And so God does not change. Uh, look at Jeremiah chapter number 15, 18, excuse me. Jeremiah chapter number 18. Jeremiah 18, verse number five. You know, you read in Genesis when God is deciding to, or when God decrees he's going to flood the world, what does the Bible say? It repented the Lord that he had made man. Is that God changing his mind about man? No. That's God seeing that mankind is staying wicked. It's seeing that mankind is not going to change and come back to him and issuing the punishment that he had to issue because that's who he is. Uh, look at Jeremiah chapter number 18. Look at verse number 5. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. Now what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, if they turn, if they humble themselves, if they repent, what does God say? I will repent of the evil that I have thought to do unto them. And in what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and a plan, if it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good. They go back. If they, if they choose to be rebellious again and go far from me, God says, That's, it's not God changing, it's just being who he is then will I repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. Now, what does this mean? And we'll say this and we'll be done. To know that God does not change. To know that who God is, is all that he is, and it is unchanging for all of time, no matter where we find ourselves or what circumstance or situation we find ourselves in. To know that God does not change is to know that God is dependable. To know that God can be trusted. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Why? Because he does not change. Our trust in him is a confident trust. For we know that he will not, in fact, cannot change. His plans are unfailing. His plans for salvation, his plan for us. His promises do not change. God will keep all of his promises. Uh, this last statement there in your handout, when it comes to salvation, this is, this is important. Uh, it is because the God who promises us eternal life is immutable or unchanging that we may rest assured that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Because God is unchanging, that's why you can have assurance of salvation. Because you don't have to worry about God saying, you know what, I'm not feeling it today. Let me take your salvation from you. That's not what God does. Unchanging. Romans 8, uh, 38, 39 says, nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. That statement there, the last statement, Hebrews 13, 8 is the reason why Romans 8, 38 through 39 can be believed. The fact that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever is the reason why we can be confident to know that God's love 